Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kale and Josh Carter. Hey everybody, welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast here on the Startup Radio Network. We're so excited you're here. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Carter. With me, as always, is Cynthia Kale. How are you, Cynthia? How was your week? It has been crazy. I am looking forward to the weekend again. <laughs> Can we have more of those? It's like a rinse and repeat, right? Everything's yeah, exactly. chaotic. Uh, well, we're excited that everybody's here. If you are just tuning in and this is the first time you've ever listened, welcome. We're excited you're here. Uh, every week we get to talk to these amazing entrepreneurs that just have this one extra thing in their resume and that is service to our country. And this week is such a special show to me because we have our former co-host and this amazing woman who's like superwoman to me, uh, Carmen Nazario. She is the president and CEO of Elion. Welcome to the program, Carmen. Thank you, Josh and Cynthia, for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yeah, we, of course, had you on episode two because you were our former co-host, like I mentioned. And uh, and today, I, I really wanted to uh, have Cynthia drive this conversation because she's never met you. And I'm sure there's a lot of our listeners that have never really gotten a chance to listen to your story, which is remarkable, by the way. So I'll let Cynthia drive and uh, let's get to know let's get to know Carmen. Sure. Yeah. I'm really excited to get to know you, Carmen. I think we touched base briefly on LinkedIn and, you know, both being founders, we do what founders do, which is, you know, our daily lives uh, get really busy really quickly. Um, you know, just tell me a little bit about how how you met Josh, how you got started with this startup radio network and, you know, what's going on with you now. Right. So um, I really met Josh through um, Mark Grimes and Mark Grimes contacted me because we had uh, a common friend of ours. Um, I'm trying to think of David's last name. Josh, do you remember? Oh, David Molina. Yeah. Molina. So I had, um, I had met David Molina, who was an ex-army captain. He came to my office one time and I was doing a little bit of mentoring with David. And so David recommended me to Mark and I, um, I met Josh. That's then, awesome. Yeah. And it was love at first sight. <laughs> love at first sight. I still love him. Yeah. So tell me about your experience running the show before or being co-host on the show. Um, did you guys come up with a script beforehand or, um, you know, what, was it pretty coordinated or um, do you well, normally just kind of? Yeah, this was a totally a new experience for me. And at first I thought, well, I'll go over there and, you know, Mark, Mark invited me to come over uh, to downtown Portland to their offices. And I thought, OK, I'll go and check it out, because in my mind, I thought, well, I've never done this before. But then uh, Josh was there. And um, Josh had a background doing this. And so everything I learned, I learned from Josh. That's, so that's very sweet of you. It, it became very comfortable working with him. And we did have a bit of an outline, but I don't think we really stuck to any outline. Uh, the interviews tended to be more uh, organic type. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I'll just piggyback on that and say, I think all of our conversations, I, they, they almost had a format in that we wanted to hear a little bit about where they were from. We wanted to hear about their military background, but we also wanted them to, t- we wanted to understand them as a person and then really dig into their experience. Right. So I think that was the format we, That's we right. kept to for the most part. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, one of the questions I wanted to ask, and I've been like really just chomping at the bit to find this out because it's it's very rare for me to meet another female founder. And it's also very empowering, I find, for us to kind of share our stories, share the struggles, you know, what we've learned, uh, what we want to do and what the challenges are. So give me a little bit of backstory on your life prior to being a founder. Right. So um, I uh, used to be an IT uh, practicing professional, but I really learned my trade in the military in the early 70s. And when I got out of the military, um, I pursued a degree in business. They didn't even have computer science degrees back then in the 70s. And so I um, I did uh, work as an employee in IT and also as a consultant. And um, I started out doing computer programming and, of course, uh, then business analysts and then project management. And then I did quite a few um, engagements in consulting with with, uh, companies. And that brought me... Um, to a point where I started dreaming about, well, you know, maybe someday I could do a consulting company myself. And so, um, uh, yeah, so the preparation probably was over, you know, over 20 years before I really launched a company. And it started very small in the basement of my home uh, for the first two years. Hey, Carmen, I want to ask real quick, when you started your IT business, how did you identify who your customer was going to be? I think we talk about this a lot. And it's really interesting because our audience is mainly made up of entrepreneurs, people that want to be entrepreneurs. But when you were starting your IT business, you didn't have a baked in customer base. How did you, one, define who your customer was going to be? And then two, go out and find them? Right. So, um, when I started, we were working on Y2K, and there was a real need for a lot of people in IT. And so there was an influx from foreign countries. Um, I I started by way of contacting a company I had worked for as a consultant, and that was Fred Myers. And so when I worked as a consultant, Um, They actually wanted me to come back. I was actually an employee at a company called Pacific Telecom in Vancouver, Washington. And I got a call from uh, an old manager I had when I worked uh, in IT. And I told her I had been entertaining starting a consulting company. And she told me, well, you'll have to go through our a legal, they had a uh, an attorney who decided and picked and choose who the vendors are going to be. So I went to work temporarily under a different company, and this person did not want to let me be my own company. But as things turned around, circumstances changed, and um, moved forward a year and a half later, I had an opportunity to become my own 
company and Fred Meyer was my first client. After that, um, you know, I started looking at, um, and, and this was, you know, right when the internet launched, you know, so I was doing a lot of marketing by way of cold calls and, and mailing brochures to different folks. And, um, and then I started looking at possibilities uh, working as a sub to prime companies that did work with uh, the federal government. And I had an introduction and, and that led to a second contract. It, it was just a small baby steps, but um, um, the first contract, I was the employee for a year. And then I felt, okay, I'll never be able to do a business if I'm doing all of the work. So after my contract ended, they, uh, from Myers wanted me to renew it. And I said, no, I'm going to just go on my own and see what I can get going. And um, it was difficult. Nothing was easy. I mean, it took a quite a while before I landed a contract um, in, and uh, yeah, it was almost to the point where anybody else may have quit, but I didn't quit. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad you didn't quit because I wouldn't be talking to you now, you know, and <laughs> one of the biggest fears that I find um, as a mom, you know, raising kids, running a business, it's that like fear of leaving your safety net, of leaving the job that you have, your day-to-day -day income. And I mean, people on the show, I might've heard my story before, but I work a day job and I run a business as well as mentoring with Operation Code. Um, I have I have three kids, you know, I'm a soul a soul earner, a single parent, and it's really, really tough. I mean, how did you get to the point where you can say, all right, I'm going to focus solely on my business and, and I can rely on that as an income um, to take care of every all the responsibilities you have? Right. Cynthia, We I never heard your story, and I'll have to go back and see if I could listen to it. But uh, we have a similar story. I actually was a single mom uh, with three kids myself, so I didn't have oh, wow. uh, child support. You know, if you quit your job, you don't have unemployment. I only had a set amount of savings, and it just took a lot of courage and um, a lot of praying, courage, hard work, keep, uh, not giving up. And um, word of mouth got around with a, a, a company that needed help on a computer that I had worked with. It was a French computer called the Bull, and nobody had that. And it was actually the Portland School District, and I had been an employee there years before. And um, they had a scenario where um, one of their top people had a heart attack, and they were doing Y2K testing. Oh. So they actually called me in and said, um, hey, we heard you started a company. We have this problem. Do you think you can help us? And on the spot, they gave me an $85,000 contract for me to work from four to 10. And I engaged two of my colleagues. And um, it was like um, just a huge breakthrough because I was at the end of my rope. I had even sold my car, you know, had borrowed my mom's car. You know, the things you do when you're passionate about, you know, continuing and, and going after your dream. But that $85,000 contract uh, led to a second contract for $425,000. And 
when I received the second contract, which I didn't have to even write a proposal for, but it was because my team had the skills they needed and nobody in town other than Fred Myers had this French computer and they were converting to um, an IBM computer. So um, it was just a little bit of being at the right place at the right time with the right skills. So um, I always say it was an open window from heaven. Yeah. Tell me a bit about your family and, and support, social support. Because um, what I've noticed is when I decided to branch out on my own and start my business, nobody really took me seriously. Even even myself, I didn't really fully take myself seriously. It was something that I kept to myself and I just kept working at it and working at it. And I didn't really talk about it because you know, I started later in life, right? I joined the military late. I was 30. Um, I had been married to an active duty uh, army um, soldier. And then I went in and, you know, you're raising three kids, you're overseas, dealing with multiple deployments in the mid 2000s. It was pretty, a pretty gnarly time. And to be honest, I think, I think the biggest pushback that I got were people that normally would have been very supportive of me. And it's not that they weren't supportive of me. I think they were just worried about me failing and failing worse. And and so that they kind of coddled me and said like, well, yeah, you don't want to start a business. Like you don't really, why do you want to join the military? Like you don't really want to do that. And so there was this um, kind of passion that I had to push within myself. Um, so tell me a little bit about like the support system that you needed to be able to move forward. Right. Well, uh, and I can understand what you're saying. You really have to be careful uh, who you share with. Uh, I didn't really have um, a lot of, uh, what would you say, a lot of people I had shared this with other than probably my parents, but I never shared with them my struggles um, because I didn't want them um, to worry. Uh, but I did have people just like you say, oh, that'll never happen. Because I remember when I first went to Fred Meyer under this other company, this uh, one company said, oh, why didn't you come join us? Because at that time, they had so many vendors. There was always about 100 consultants there. They were converting uh, from this French computer to an IBM. And this guy, and when I told this guy that well, I didn't sign under you because I'm planning to do my own company. And he said, well, that will never happen. But you can't listen to the naysayers. You just have to, you know, just follow your heart. And um, that's what I did. I just followed my heart. And, um, you know, it's interesting how a few years later, some of the people thought that it wouldn't happen. were trying to call me to see if I could give them work, you know? Yep. That's exactly what's happened to me. And it's almost ironic because uh, I don't ever say, well, I told you so, but you know, there, there was a very long period of time where I had to push myself and just kind of do it under the table and not really talk about it. Um, just because I had to keep my blinders on and keep focused on what I need to do. Um, and, and it's then another similarity that I'm noticing too, is we're both in tech and that's really cool. You know, it's really interesting, but how do you keep your skills sharp? Because the industry is constantly evolving. Right. So, so now, you know, uh, um, I've been in business for 23 years. A lot has happened since then. And, you know, I, I, you know, I am thankful that 
I have a a great support team and, you know, through the collective efforts of all of the people in my management team and my administrative team, we've been able to succeed and grow. And so, um, so when I started, I was the employee of the company. Um, it is 23 years now. I have 150 employees. It was very slow growth because I couldn't get a credit line for about, you know, the first five years. So it was, you know, a cash basis type of growth where the money I would get, I would reinvest it. And, um, but it, it, it takes some, uh, a bit of a strategy in terms of really be a, being able to plan your company to scale. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe I got off topic here, um, but just to make sure that, am I answering your question correctly, Cynthia? I mean, it's all interesting uh, and relative. I think that, you know, mainly because of the field, um, you know, there's platforms that change all the time. We're competing against people that are fresh out of Stanford, MIT, you know, young folks that start businesses when they're 23, 24, they don't have that life experience and they're sharp, you know, they're very sharp. They know all, all this different kinds of programming languages. I mean, I just find it, um, it's one of those things that you have to keep on top of with the changing technology. You, so, you have to, so you have to hire the experts, you know, so I have not done the work. The last thing I was doing was project management work for Fred Myers, you know, and I don't know all of the, um, I mean, I understand the technologies, but, I don't know them. I, you know, I can talk about them, but you, you have to hire the experts and that's where um, that takes a bit of intuition. Um, it, it, it just, um, it, it just, it, it's very important because if you don't, even, you know, experts in not necessarily IT, but just, you know, uh, business development who have experience in, um, you know, good accountants and um, uh, you have to have expertise and you have to stay relevant. And so I rely on my team for that. Uh, my, my tech group, we recently started an innovation department in my company, and we meet weekly because uh, this might be a question you'd be, you'll be asking me, but uh, we had been looking at new service offerings even before the pandemic and exploring what else we could do uh, in, in our company in terms of really providing value to our customers. So this is an ongoing thing, you know, there is no way I could keep up with everything out there but I just trust you know the people that I have um, to uh, and we have every type of expert we have people engage in cybersecurity and um, they're they're at the customer site but they're available to us and internally we have quite a few people that have um, uh, that are very technical mm-hmm. yeah. Great, it is a challenge. Great conversation. I, I've been just fascinated by hearing more and more, especially how you got the break. I think this is a great place for us to take our first break. So we're going to do that. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. We've been talking to Carmen Nazario. And we're going to be right back after this quick break. 
This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change's mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. They use their voice and resources to stand up to all forms of discrimination, mass incarceration, barriers to health care, and inequitable economic opportunities. Bridges to Change's goal is to empower people to be self-sufficient and become members of the community, who in turn offer the same opportunities to help others. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to health care, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com. And we're back. We've been talking to Carmen Nazario. She's the president of Elion. It's a, a company, an IT company out of Vancouver, Washington, not here in Oregon. But uh, you, I've been having so much fun listening to Cynthia interview Carmen. Uh, Carmen, one thing, you know, you started to touch on uh, sort of what, how the pandemic has impacted your business. How, talk, unpack that a little bit more. How has it impacted your business and what are you doing to, to, uh, to adjust? Um. Yes, we um, we actually did not have as huge of an impact uh, in terms of we were um, facilitating that like other companies because we're already doing remote work. So right now uh, in our administrative and management team, um, we have remote workers for several years because of the, like, for example, we're working in 10 states and then we have some programs in the Midwest. And so we have a program manager in Missouri. And when we do our monthly management meetings, everybody would get on um, Zoom calls. We switched to Teams since then. So we had very minor adjustment other than people, uh, the administrative team, which was ported in, in Vancouver, Washington, getting to work remotely, you know, like the accounting, finance team. But it's rather well. So um, that's some impact to the business, of course, because everybody has. Uh, but it's you know I'm I'm thankful in the sense that I haven't had to lay anybody off. In fact, we've had um, a bit of increase in work, but I've been really you know we've been really careful trying to watch what the landscape was going to look like, um, and so. Um, um, I think that considering um, everybody else, you know, all of these small businesses that have been so hugely impacted, uh, we're doing okay. The one thing I can say is that um, I feel like in a time like this, you really have to be able to look at what you're doing and figure out what you could do differently, how to adapt. And uh, just a little example, I remember going to my office back in um, in June and there's this restaurant. And of course we were all ordering out the street from me that we used to patronage and we still do, but he, the owner um, 
did all these gift baskets for Father's Day and had them right there in the front. So when you went in to pay for your food, picked up your food, here were all of these gift baskets with bottles of wine and wine glasses and shakers. And I thought, wow, this is this is really good. This shows, you know, somebody who is adapting mm-hmm. to the current uh, scenario. And so in our business model, um, I believe everybody is looking at that right now. Yeah, I yeah. want to find out, you know, adapting and, and being able to pivot. Do you think that came from your military training? Um, definitely adapting. Um, um, I feel that that's one of the, you know, the traits that veterans are good about because you you have to adapt to your circumstances and um and many of our veterans um or military folks have difficult circumstances especially if you're heading into battle so i feel that's a a great trait that veterans offer um and um uh, it, it you know it could be so it's not going to scare me that we have to we have a change we just have to I, I think with change comes opportunities you just have to look for them and focus on um, what can you do differently um, with this type of work environment mm-hmm. When you're uh, when you're looking at the growth of your business through this pandemic, what are some of the, you said that you're meeting with this innovation team? What are some of the things that you're looking at to to make make sure that the future is bright? Make sure that you're growing the right way. Uh, like how how are you and this innovation team thinking about that? So one of the service offerings we had started working on before the pandemic was work transformation services. And that's because in our model of business, we've always had a lot of uh, consultants, but uh, but we also do non-IT work. We have other types of contracts that are non-IT. We also do G- GIS, geographic information services. So one of the service offerings we had developed was um, how to uh, provide uh, a workforce, um, like for instance, if a company needed um, an agile team just to help them get through a project, and we uh, we came up with this agile capacity services, and it's not really a person, a company can just request hours, and we would provide a scrum master, and we could provide um, these services very cost efficiently because we 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 have a partnership with a nearshore company that's on, on the same time zone we are mm-hmm. and um, that's one of the services uh, we were offering and uh, or we are offering now and then um, we also because we had to do these remote types of projects. Um, A couple of years ago, we were doing a multi-million dollar legacy transformation to new technology for one of our clients. And in this case, it was on our own cloud. And so um, we were doing COBOL systems that, you know, we had to locate people in Florida who had background in that. So at that time, our key 
program manager uh, came up with uh, all of these systems and processes to be able to execute this. And so one of the one of the things we have in, been doing internally is refining these processes and we can come in and assist companies and help them implement uh, these types of remote teams to work effectively utilizing the processes and systems we develop. So that's an example of just two of them. And we have probably a few more. I want to ask you a little bit about how you balance your home life or personal life with your work life. You know, as we uh, know as founders, your your work, your your business is your baby, and it can very easily take up, you know, many hours uh, responding to things, catching up on things, managing the workforce, um, personnel, and then, of course, growth and, and development. How do you balance between the two? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so. Uh, Right now, I don't have children at home. All my kids are adults. I'm a grandma. In fact, I just had a new little grandbaby born last week, a little boy. Oh, wow. Congrats. Thank you. I'm really excited about that. And then um, I'm a widow, so I don't have, you know, I'm actually by myself right now. And so um, I think what's important for me is to take that break on weekends and and now I've extended it to Fridays. I'm trying to take my Fridays off because you do have to work odd hours. There's, you know, you can never get away from email communication, you know, but, but when Friday comes, particularly Friday evening, I try not to look at email or anything else unless we have some major deadline that I'm helping out with like a proposal that's due on Monday or Tuesday, but I have to have that break. Um, and, uh, and it's been harder now because what I find is that working from home, you're actually working longer hours. Yep. It's not like at work. I, I would go down the hall and then stop by and chat with my administrative team. So I'm not doing that now and I'm not taking breaks, you know, and I have to remind myself to take a break. So I, and I think that's going on with a lot of people, uh, you know, that they're working harder than they were when they were in the office. For sure. I was just talking to my team and, you know, a bunch of us were saying that they needed to schedule lunch in their calendar because you don't, you don't, you don't realize that you're just, you have your head down, you're just plugging away and people just keep scheduling meetings. And before you know it, it's three o'clock and you haven't eaten anything. You haven't stepped away from your, your screen. Um, So I'm the same way. Like, you know, Saturday, I've been doing this uh, completely off screen day where I take one day off. I'm not checking my email. I'm not responding to anything. Like if it's an emergency, if it's a true emergency, they can call, but um, I just need one day a week where I'm not looking at anything and and mainly getting outside. Self care is so important, and I think like we don't realize that taking care of ourselves is a way of taking care of our business. You know, making sure that you're here for the long run, making sure that you're refreshed, um, taking mental health days, um, eating well, like taking breaks, going for walks, exercising. Those are all things that we underestimate for for a lot of us, honestly, because we're just go 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 all the time. And particularly women, women, um, well, I could be stereotyping, but, you know, a lot of women can multitask. And so they're used to doing all of these things. But that is really 
a topic that is being covered everywhere. I'm I'm certified through women organizations, and I mean they devoted this one virtual conference I attended. They devoted you know a whole hour and a speaker to address self care during these times. Carmen, your your business has been around. And by the way, I don't think that's a bad stereotype. I am horrible at multitasking and my <laughs> wife is amazing at it. So I think there's something to that stereotype. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, Elion's been around 23 years, you said, uh, which is amazing, by the way. Congrats on all that. Yeah, this is a crisis like we've not seen in a really long time and certainly not in our lifetime. What is the lessons that, lesson that, or lessons that you've learned so far during this crisis or lessons that you've learned that you've, you've, uh, you know, we've talked about this in, in past podcasts about things that you've screwed up that you've learned from. And you're like, I'm not ever going to do that again. Cause it could have scuttled my entire business. What, what are some lessons that you've learned so far? Um, it, you're talking about in terms of just running my business through the course of the 23 years, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, the, there's, you know, I think I would put it in the sense that um, I would portray it in a different way. Um, I think um, the if if you were asking me what was um, a mistake you've made in the past or lesson you learned back then, is I would say. Early on, when I was first new to, to um, well, when I was still learning the business, because it's on-the-job training. Nobody, you can't go to your competitor and ask them, well, tell me how to do this business. You have to, everything I've learned was by way of on-the-job training, by participating in um, events, you know, the SBA, anything I could attempt to learn. But early on, I did a contract with a major prime and it was for the Department of Energy. I was the subcontractor and they asked me if I would train the staff in PeopleSoft. So I went and spent 10,000 to train this person in PeopleSoft. And then a year later, they pulled the contract uh, from me uh, because they could collect more uh, if they were the prime and not have me as the sub. So the lesson I learned back then is when I negotiate contracts, if they're asking me to do something to make sure for me to ask not to be shy about negotiating terms for myself, meaning I should have said, okay, I'll do that, but you have to guarantee me that I'm going to recover my costs by way of allowing me to continue on the contract for, you know, four years. They, they had a five-year contract. Uh, so that that's a lesson. Um, I, um, I feel that, uh the the biggest thing I've learned in in this business that you have to uh, continue to still work really hard. You still have to um, think think out of the box, think big um, because I think right now, in fact, we were just talking about this in an earlier meeting today with uh, a team of mine that you have to, 
always, you can't stay complacent in, in a business. Let's say you achieve some success, but that you can't ever have the attitude, oh, I've arrived. No, you've never arrived. You have to continually um, be examining your business model to make sure that, that um, you are... Uh, nibble that you can change with times and and this is a great example everybody everybody is is making huge changes like I had read the other day that Starbucks was closing down 400 stores and they're changing their model of business so um, I feel that those are lessons that can keep you uh, you know, in business, if if and and you always have to continue to re-examine your business model um, to see uh, what else you can do differently and better than your competition. Carmen, you've spent a lot of time giving back to founders. You mentor a lot. You mentioned earlier you you've uh, mentored uh, David Molina, who's a, a mutual friend. But you you've mentored a lot of different entrepreneurs. How important has, has, has it been to find good mentors for yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur? And as your business grew, was it important to find mentors that sort of matched the level at which you were at in your entrepreneurial journey? Right. That's a, that's a really good question because it is, it is really um, hard Sometimes to, you know, because, for instance, I would want to talk to another CEO that runs a company similar to mine. And um, it, and that has been a bit difficult. What I have done, though, I am certified through various organizations as a minority and as a woman-owned business. And there's some folks I, I've known for many, many years that I feel I can trust. And I have... Uh, set up a few meetings with one of the uh, the um, CEOs of uh, another technology company in, in Bellevue. He's headquartered in Bellevue. And he has been gracious enough to be very candid with me and share, um, you know, information, you know, that I was asking him. Uh, but that is, you know, as a CEO, it's really hard to find folks. I have another colleague of mine, she is from the Philippines, but she retired from an outsourcing company. And even when she was uh, the vice president of her company, I used to call on her and just kind of bounce things with her uh, because it's, it's a lonely place to be at times. The other thing I do is I try to read a lot, read about, um, uh, leadership uh, is my favorite topic to read on, um, but um, try to educate myself as much as possible in all kinds of, of topics. And so, um, yeah, ideally it would be nice. I know there's, um, you know, folks who do coaching and all of that. And there was years ago, I think about, oh, nine years ago, I had joined this CEO um, type of organization with other CEOs and they meet once a week in Portland and I had to get up at five in the morning to go there and um, and after a while I did that for a few months and then I realized okay some of the topics they're discussing I was really already a, a little bit familiar with and it was 
uh, intense to do that. You know, you, I had to drive from Vancouver, go through the traffic, come back, and it was taking a lot of time. But yeah, it, it's a, um, it's for me. I feel that um, I I do want to learn more from other types of people that are in similar roles as mine. For founders that are thinking about starting a business, what piece, single piece of advice do you think you should give them right now as they're thinking about what they need to do and how they need to grow their business? Right. So for a founder, uh, you know, the first thing I would have to tell them is they have to be passionate about a product or a service that's really going to provide a solution or a convenience to their customer. And, and also, too, they, they have to uh, do it for the right reasons. To go in business to make money, that's not a reason to be in business. It's got to have purpose. It has to be business with a purpose. Um, I would also um, tell them that there are enormous resources available that they can make use of. There's the SBA, there's SCORE, there's small business development centers in the community colleges and many universities. And uh, so there is a lot available out there and it's sure easier now than when I started uh, 23 years ago because there's all kinds of things available by way of the internet, um, which I didn't have access to that when I started. And I would tell them to be prepared to put in long hours because, you know, when you work for yourself, you're always working. And, uh, and earlier I had also mentioned to never get complacent with your first taste of success because you, you, you know, you, you have to keep, um, uh, the mindset that I have to continuously examine my business model and be able to change with the times, just just like now, you know. So that would be my advice. I've got a question just to piggyback off of what you talked about with the mentorship. Um, you know, you have uh, other mentors for sure. It's it's it can be a lonely place to be a founder looking for people that you trust, um, even people in the field to find out, hey, what are you struggling with or what are you how are you pivoting? Um, but how do you pay back to the community? Like, how do you give forward to um not just mentoring other people, but um, it seems as if you've got a very strong core value of giving to other people of your time, you know, even now with the podcast, I'm definitely learning a lot from you. And I appreciate just having this conversation with you. Um, what are ways that you uh, see yourself in giving to other people? So we get back um, financially, like uh, for the past 10 years, we've been investing in scholarships for Hispanic students. Um, I am a member of the uh, Portland Metropolitan Hispanic Chamber. I'm Hispanic. And they have this wonderful scholarship program that um, every year, if we uh, sponsor a student, the college will sponsor, uh, if you sponsor with over $1,000, the college they are applying to will sponsor um, uh, the same amount you do. So let's say I did 2,000. 
then they're applying to Portland State, then Portland State gives them 2000. So we've been doing that for 10 years because that is a way of um, sustain sustainability in terms of reaching out to the um, uh, to communities that um, particularly minority communities where you find that there's not a lot of people in the technology field. And all the students I sponsored have taken up careers in engineering in the stands in in um, um, computer science. So it, it's really amazing to see that this year it was a virtual conference. And then um, we sponsor locally, you know, so we give money to, for instance, Portland Rescue Mission mm-hmm. that works with um, the homeless and the people on drugs. We've been doing that for several years. Um, we've also do work, although that part is not on my website, but I went to Kenya this year because we've been sponsoring a school there. And then this year with very little money, I was able to start um, a um, a computer lab. The school we sponsor is for um, kids. I think uh, like half of them are orphans and it's this um it's, it's a community project that we're doing in there. We've been doing that for the past four years. And then um, I'm still involved in a lot of things right now. I mean, um, this is the first of three more Veterans Day um, um, podcasts I'll be doing. <laughs> wow. So Wells Fargo, which is our bank, has asked us if they could showcase us for Veterans Day. And um, and so they're going to be contacting me. I'm doing one tomorrow because we're um, working on um, interviewing our employees that are veterans. And so as part of that, uh, we're, we're going to do a Facebook campaign um, to showcase some of our veteran employees. And I think um, my management team wanted me to be interviewed as well. Um, let's see. So I feel it's it's always important uh, to give back locally. And, you know, if you can, because, you know, the company is named Elyon International because the purpose was to do an international business. And when you think about it, now more than ever, it has been proven that people can work from anywhere. So, our goal, we have some internal initiatives uh, with the goal of being able to engage people from uh, areas globally that are underprivileged and that need economic um, development. And, um, and so it's kind of, um, uh, you know, um, it's kind of wild when you think about it, but then it's just, um, it's something that I think is so worthwhile that now that it's been proven that people can work remotely, when you think about, you can engage a team of people from all of these different countries. Of course, they may need to speak English and put them to work together as a team. Mm -hmm. Uh, That would be 
totally revolutionary, I think. And so we, uh, there's a group of us in my company, we just like to think out of the box and, and dream about possibilities, um, really about, you know, what can we do and participate in terms of changing the world and making um, it a better place economically for the underprivileged um, economies it's been an absolute privilege hearing your story and getting to know all of the different initiatives you're involved in. And I'll definitely have to circle back and follow up on some of these just, just because I'm interested in, you know, the school in Kenya and teaching kids uh, computer skills and, uh, you know, getting minorities into tech. It's, it's uh, a story that's dear uh, and near to my heart. So thank you for being on this podcast. Carmen, you are an absolute rock star. I uh, <laughs> absolutely adore you. You know this. And uh, and I'm so glad we got to do this. Uh, for those that don't know, where, where can people find you online? They can find me in LinkedIn, Carmen Nazario. Uh, and then our website is um, www elion E-L-Y-O-N, international spelled out, dot com. I love it. Thank you for doing this. I, it's so great to be able to just sit down and hear more about your story because there's so much to unpack and your lessons and everything that you've imparted today on our audience. Uh, I miss you dearly. Uh, hopefully when all this is done, we can go grab uh, you know dinner or something and just catch up. But we I love you. I love you yes. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. You've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. on the West Coast. Listen, learn, get stuff done. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.